Oh, yeah, okay, I'm doing the psalm after. Anyway. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be mortal body. So then, is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So then we go to Psalm, and it's Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord.
Let's pray. Father God, as we read your word and as we hear it explained, please be working in all of us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. And Father, I pray that you also be working within me and through me by your spirit, that your word may be preached faithfully. Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Peter. If I haven't met you before, it's wonderful to see you. Um, <clears throat> this is a great passage. Uh, as, um, as it was read out just then, I was reminded again of how good it actually is and how encouraging it is. Um, is the message worth the pain? Uh, this last week, a Chinese man named uh, Peng Lifa made global headlines when he staged a, a one-man protest uh, against Xi Jinping in China. Uh, there was an article about it written in the Sydney Morning Herald by Peter Harcher. Uh, this is an excerpt from the article. He was alone, dressed as a construction worker in a yellow hard hat and orange overalls. The lone, the lone protester chose a famous bridge in Beijing to make his declaration on two bold banners. He knew he'd have little time, a few minutes the most, under the all-seeing eye of the world's most advanced techno-surveillance state. So his protest chant, broadcast through a loud hailer, seems to have been pre-recorded. And he lit a fire spewing black smoke to make sure he was seen. And he certainly was. Peng Lifa's message was simple. It called for the removal of Xi Jinping. He held no significant following or position of influence. He was simply a physicist. Uh, compared to the Chinese Communist Party, this was one weak man. But he considered his message was of greater importance than his life. He knew, probably better than, than most other people, the implications of what this protest would cost him, both on himself and his family. Um, Peng Lifa has since vanished. Do you think that he thought it was worth it? Uh, or what about his family? Do you think his family thinks that this protest was worth it? Our passage today also deals with uh, a message, a message which our author Paul considers worth suffering for. It isn't his message or it's not a message that he made up, it's God's message. It's a message which is proclaimed by weak people and a message which can lead to suffering by those who proclaim it. And this is because God's message works through weak people and brings life and eternal glory to believers in God. So today we've got, we've got three points to work through. First point is the weak man. Second, the powerful message. Then number three, the eternal glory. We're at point one, the weak man. Uh, in this first section, Paul describes himself and his ministry. Uh, now, many of us are familiar with who the Apostle Paul was. 
uh, a powerful leader, highly influential figure in the early church, church planter, extraordinaire, uh, resilient, influential figure, really a, a pioneer of, modern, of the modern missionary movement. In our words, this is how we would describe Paul. He's one who has a formidable legacy, cathedrals, churches, schools, all named after him. But such a view was not held by everyone. In fact, Paul is going to uh, quote what the Corinthians really think of him later in his letter. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 10. This is what the the Corinthians think about, about Paul. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Can you imagine something like that being said about you in your workplace or, or by the people at, at, that, at school that you pick up your kids with? Peter, he can, he can write a great email, but you wouldn't want him leading your team. Peter, well, he's, he's, he's good at the theory, but not so much at the practical. And what's astonishing is that Paul would agree, not with us, but with the, with the Corinthians. And in verse 7, we have Paul in his own words. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, a jar of clay, the, um, the first century equivalent to a, a styrofoam cup or a a plastic cup, or a paper cup, or probably something we're going to be having our communion out of. If you were to pick it up and and roll it about in your fingers, it would just just crack under the pressure. And what's more, as we continue reading in verse 8 and 9, the resume seems to get more and more embarrassing. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side. We are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down. He'll later say in verse 11, uh, he's one who seems to always be given over unto death. See, Paul, if, if we were to see him in the first century Roman Empire, we would not be impressed by Paul. And in every way, except for his letters we would see him as weak. And herein lies the the almost paradoxical fact that God deliberately clothes his power in human weakness to show that the power is his and his alone. Within this styrofoam cup, this jar of clay, lies the priceless treasure of the gospel. And Foxy unpacked this for us last week going back into the the previous section. Verse 6, For God who said, "Let let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Within Paul, as weak as he is, is the message of the gospel. A message resonating in power with the transformative effect of causing people to trust in Jesus and serve him as Lord. This is the treasure within Paul. Uh, I'm not sure if, you've, um, if you've, seen, you've seen Storage Wars. It's one of those shows that would be on, on Seven Mate. 
um, one of the great treasures of, of American culture. Um, but if you haven't, this is, this is basically the series, um, which is it's now in its 14th season, so pe people watch it. Um, sorry if you do like it. Um, I could only watch one YouTube video about it, and that was enough. Um, Okay, 14th season, it's popular. Um, it follows a bunch of American pickers, and what they do is they barter about... Um, the, the, uh, a storage garage goes on auction, they barter about its price, and then one of them ends up purchasing it for a couple of thousand, couple of thousand dollars. Um, and then they're given the keys, they open up the, the garage, and inside it just, it just looks like junk. There's cardboard boxes... Um, there's mice, raccoons running around inside. Um, it, it looks like it's it it, look, it looks like you know mine or your garage really. Um, they look like they, it looks like it contains nothing of value. Uh, but as they unpack the boxes, sometimes they find the most amazing treasure. And as they search through the boxes on the screen, there's a little dollar sign that just increases in value as they unpack each box. This is what some of them have found. Four drawings by Pablo Picasso. A handwritten letter by Abraham Lincoln. Artwork by Frank Gutierrez. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but apparently he's famous because it's worth $300,000. And a $7.5 million cache of cash. All of these garages were bought for a couple of thousand dollars, seemingly junk, yet contained extraordinary treasure. Paul sees himself the same way, a weak man in the service of God. Weak, persecuted, afflicted, struck down, but containing the treasure of the gospel. Why? Verse 7 to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So it'd be so easy to see stoic Paul running from town to town, convincing everyone with his, his charisma, his, his Bible knowledge, his logic, crowds following. But here, herein lies the problem. If Paul is where the power is, people follow Paul and not God. So God keeps Paul deliberately weak in order to show that it's only through God's power that people actually become Christian. And as we look back at verse 8 and 9, we sort of get a sense of that. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. It's almost as if the fingers on the plastic communion cup are just squeezing it and it's about to break, but God's keeping it from not breaking. You get the sense that the only one thing is stopping Paul from being crumpled or broken. He may be afflicted, but God doesn't allow him to be crushed. He may be persecuted, but God will never forsake him. He might be struck down, but he will not be destroyed. He is God's weak messenger, containing the treasure of the gospel that God will use to advance his kingdom. 
It can sometimes be easy to minimise the importance of the gospel in light of the people that we are around. Um, in light of the weakness we feel in the presence of others. A friend of mine in ministry was once visiting a congregation member in hospital. Um, he came into the, his, his friend's room, he sat down in the corner, opened up his Bible um, and they were just reading it together. When all of a sudden the, the doctor or, or retra, a very high-ranking doctor, came in um, with, you know, the, the interns, the doctor interns sort of scurrying behind. And, and as, as the, the important doctor came in, my friend who was in the corner reading the Bible sort of stood up, mumbled something about need, needing to leave, he'll, he'll leave, he'll get out of the way. Um, when all of a sudden the doctor who had walked in said, hang on a second, what do you think you're doing? You're the most important person in the room. Sit back down, we'll finish, and then you can continue. Sometimes we can feel so intimidated in the presence of other people that we can forget just how important the task is that we actually have, the words that we have, the gospel that we have. And we can forget and we can see ourselves as being this weak vessel of no importance. Paul's and our weakness can sometimes seem to be inhibitors to the gospel. They're not. God uses weak people like me and like you to proclaim his gospel so the world knows the power comes from him and not from us. But in this section, Paul also moves on to explain that he suffers so that the gospel can be revealed to people. Um, we've also read of the persecution and affliction of Paul. Uh, in the next couple of verses, he talks of being given over to death. Uh, Paul's ministry is, is not just one of weakness, but it's also one of continual suffering. And it makes you think, why? Why, why should he even bother? If he is weak, if he is continually suffering... Uh, why should he bother? Why should he continue? I mean, if you knew Paul, wouldn't you get alongside him and say, mate, you've done well, uh, but it, it's just not working out for you. Um, but for Paul, this isn't an option, is it? Because the treasure of the gospel is valuable because it brings life. We're at point two, the powerful message. We've seen Paul is made weak, so the power uh, can be seen to be God's alone. Likewise, we've seen that Paul is prepared to suffer to proclaim his message. Um, the message that Paul proclaims is therefore powerful and worth suffering for. And it's because his message, and it's because his message brings life to the Corinthians and glory to God. In verse 13 and 14, Paul lays bare his belief in death and life and states that this knowledge demands that he speak. He begins by exploring death and he does this through using Psalm 116. It's in verse 13. It is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Um, we heard as, as, it, as it was read out, Psalm 116 is a psalm about God's ability to deliver people from death. 
within the psalm, the writer calls out to God. Verse 3, verse 4. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Now, this description of death is evocative. Um, It's described here as a snare, a trap. It's something that you fall into unaware. Sometimes you can't tell it's coming until you actually meet it. But then when you do, it encompasses you, it takes hold of you, it reaches out and it grabs you. Um, It's distressing and it leaves the psalmist full of anguish. We all have at some stage experienced death and we will experience it again. A month ago, my grandmother passed away and we recently had the funeral. Um, And one of the images which replay in my mind is the image of my dad who ran the funeral. I have never seen my dad shed a single tear in his entire life. He's 71 years old. I haven't seen him shed a single tear. Uh, He did that day numerous times. And I can't think of anything sadder than death. And I remember thinking, um, when I I stood by my grandmother's coffin, I hate death. I hate the way that it made my dad feel. And I hate the fact that my grandmother is gone. But death, death is not where this psalm ends. Psalm 116, 8 and 9. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. There is someone who can save us from death. Someone with the power to bring life. God, we see it here in the psalm, you have delivered my soul from death, I will walk in the land of the living. And as we consider Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, don't we see the picture of this power? When Jesus arrives at the tomb, Mary comes up to him, distraught over the death of her brother, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will not Though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And Paul shares this belief. And so he speaks, verse 14, We also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. This is the surpassing power from verse 7. It is the power which saves people from death and brings them back into relationship with God and into his presence. And you can see why Paul doesn't let his weakness or his suffering to get in the way of this message. For Paul, indeed for us today, all people are on this journey. All people are on this trajectory where life will ultimately end. 
each person that Paul sees will end, will, will ultimately at some point die. Each person he bumps shoulders with, eats with, travels with, reads the Bible with, prays with, will see death. And so despite his weakness, despite his suffering, because he knows what can save people from death, he proclaims his message of life. As Christians, we know death, we experience death, we see death, we grieve death, we hate death. But we also know that death has been defeated. We know that those who die, yet shall they live. One author commenting on this writes, Believers do not mourn as those who have no hope. They know God's love and life are more powerful than the jaws of death. We know that the message of the gospel brings life. We know with Paul that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us and bring us with you into his presence. Going back to Peng Lifa, um, his message called for the removal of a dictator. As important as this message is, our message brings life in the midst of death. And we mustn't, we mustn't downplay this in our minds. We have a powerful message to proclaim. We have a right to speak into people's lives and say that death is not the end. We know what comes after death. Um, when people ask you, why are you a Christian? What do you say? Um, it can be very easy to, to stumble or, or, or mutter something, can't it? Um, and I had to spend a bit of time to think out what I say to people when they ask me, why did you, why did you give up you know, being in the army to being a minister? I'm a Christian because I believe that death is not the end and I know what's on the other side of death and I know who can bring life and that life comes through Jesus. Such a message is worth suffering for. It's worth proclaiming even when we feel weak. So alongside Paul, we should not lose heart because this message of life also brings eternal glory. We're at point three, the eternal glory. In this last section, because of the message of life, Paul looks forward to the unseen eternal glory of heaven. Verses 16 and 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Uh, within this section, Paul draws numerous contrasts uh, between this world and the world to come. On the one hand, Paul feels himself wasting away, you can understand why, 
wasting away as he endures suffering in ministry. Um, no doubt, as he, as he writes these words, he's recalling the times that he was thrown out of town, fled cities in the dead of night to avoid being killed, um, being whipped, being beaten. Um, but I also have no doubt uh, the light and the momentary afflictions also included churches he planted along the way going astray. False teachers preaching a false gospel, chains, imprisonment, um, relational frustration and unmet expectations. How easy would it have been for Paul to have allowed these light and momentary afflictions, hard as they may seem at the time, to get in the way of the gospel of life going out? To lose heart. But no, the message of life brings with it promise of future eternal glory, of life in the presence of God, life as it, as it should be, life in relationship with our Creator. And it isn't as if he just imagines this for himself. In verse 15, he says, all of this is for your benefit, Corinthians, your benefit, that the message of life can reach more people. See, Paul looks forward to his future life, his future glory, of course, but he also has enormous love for the people that are around him, the people he meets with and the congregations he pastors. He sees the people he worships with, reads the Bible with, prays with his fellow travellers on the journey to eternal glory with him. It's not just his future glory that he's looking forward to. He's looking forward to seeing others with him. He wants us together to fix our eyes, not on the affliction that we feel today or tomorrow, but on the unseen reality of an eternal glorious future with God, life as it's meant to be, in relationship with him. You see, it's not a one-horse race with Paul. He's not running by himself. He wants the whole field to cross the line together. So for Paul, he doesn't lose heart. Nothing will stop him from proclaiming this message of life. And so as we look back to verses 8 and 9, for Paul... It's worth being hard-pressed. It's worth being perplexed. It's worth being persecuted. It's worth being struck down. If only it means more people will come to hear the message of life. That death has been defeated and that life is on offer through Jesus Christ. Now, it's right and proper to see Paul as a unique individual, chosen by God uh, with a specific mission. He was God's appointed chosen apostle to the Gentiles. But as we look through this passage, there are many things given to Paul by God that we too share in. Like Paul, it's easy to see ourselves as weak, as jars of clay. But at these times, we need to remember the power of the gospel lies not in persuasive speech, but in God. We too suffer as we carry around the gospel and it can be easy in the face of our weaknesses and sufferings to lose heart. Bunker down, leave the task of proclaiming the gospel to others. For many of us, this can seem completely bizarre. And the idea of appearing weak, especially when we're in front of influential people in our lives, seems like the last thing that we actually want to do. Many of you have built 
reputations of competence and strength. Many of you are known as the person to go to, to talk to. Um, Others of you interact with school families, neighbours, and we want to be respected by all of them, looked up to for having it all together. An appearing week sometimes seems completely counterproductive to any gospel conversation that we could have. Surely they'd believe if it sounded, if I sounded more confident. In many facets of life, it equals incompetence, doesn't it? Weakness. But in gospel proclamation, it is through our weakness that God works so that the glory goes to him and not to us, so that people follow Jesus, not because we have been persuasive or that we have been, other people want to copy our lives and look more like us, but so that the power comes from God. And we need to put this life in perspective with the next. We need to see this world as it's temporary and our permanent life as being in heaven. It's so, it's so easy to get both of them confused, isn't it? This world is temporary. You don't want to waste your life as though this life is all that matters. In heaven, we won't even remember this life. So embrace the weakness. And you might find God does some incredible work through you. But it's here that we too need reminding that what we contain is the treasure of the gospel. Jars of clay though we may be, we contain the treasure of the gospel. It is a message of life in the midst of death which affects every single person that we meet, that we work with, that we live beside, that we live with. It's a powerful message in the hands of weak people which brings life which brings people from death to life through the power of God so for us it is worth being hard pressed it is worth being perplexed it is worth being persecuted and it is worth being struck down that God may be glorified when people who do not know him come to trust him as Lord and Saviour let's pray Father God, we do thank you for the gospel, for this treasure um, that we believe in. Father, we do thank you that you have brought us from death to life. Father, um, you wish to use weak people to proclaim your message. Father, help us to see your message as powerful, as good news, as applicable for everyone. Father, help us not to focus on our weakness or our sufferings, but help us to rejoice in partnering with you as you send your message to the world. Father, help us not to lose heart in the times that we do feel pained, abandoned, struck down. Father, help us to remember you, remember your son, remember Paul, that you are with us through all of this. Amen.